it is April, uh, May the 11th, and uh, yeah, time flies when you're having fun, and we are excited to be headed to Dallas tomorrow for the leadership in uh, the Four Seasons, so excited to see Robert and Johnny Alvere, uh, David and his wife Jenny, and Marcia Seacrest, and if I'm forgetting anyone, I do apologize. Okay, let's get to the leaderboard. We have 25 writers last week um, and uh, one new writer. Um, So Bernadette Clark, brand-new writing agent, got her first application for 348. Yvonne Brown had an application for 604. Aubrey Poirier, I believe, is a brand-new writing agent also, Dick. Um, She had two applications for 673. Dylan Brewer had an app for 704. Diane Hardison had an app for 717. Shania Wiley had one app for 1,071. Bridget Engway had one app for 1,091. James Bird had an app for 1699. Lillian Lee had an application for 1764. Jeff Williams had four apps for 1881. Ben Hickman had two apps for 2069. Elvira Bezderevich had two apps for 2460. David Crocker had two apps for 2569. Belkis Perez had five applications for 2576. Miguel Rivera Colon had three apps for 2669. Carrie Sullivan had four applications for 2745. Mariana Drumova had six apps for 2795. Rafael Rodriguez had two apps for 28.65, and these uh, are all above 3,000 for the week. Dan Brett had two apps for 32.78. Laura Chacon had four applications for 3,607. James Danielson had five applications for 4,187 dollars. Matt Kramer had four applications for $4,848. John Crancourt had two apps for $5,720. One of those was an annuity, and so that does cap um, at a specific amount, which is 5%. Uh, So way to go, John. Heather Hudak was thrilled. She had seven applications, $6,558. And number one for the week, Marcia Seacrest, who has, taken off for sure. So excited to see Marsha in Dallas tomorrow. Marsha had 10 applications for $8,192, a total of 74 applications, $67,690. And we appreciate what each of you does for the economy, for your clients. I want to remind everyone about our book this quarter, which is a John Maxwell book, always a good choice for anyone in sales and especially insurance sales. John Maxwell's book, Everyone Communicates, Few Connect, is a great resource for personal development to improve your skills from whatever level you are upwards to a 9 or a 10. Okay. Thank you, Connie. Uh, you know, when we talk about Maxwell, it's so encouraging because uh, John has just done uh, a phenomenal job in uh, personal development himself and what he has poured out to the world around him. Uh, we actually grew up in an area of Ohio very close to each other, did not know John as a second grader, 
but we actually went to the same school at that time. And uh, But just to see what he's done and the impact he's had on this community there. I did, before I asked Danny to join us this morning, I did want to uh, highlight something. We feature uh, $3,000 in premium a week or more. And guys, the reason we do that, you know, I don't think anybody on this list here today is working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And even with $3,000 in premium, if somebody will do that on a consistent basis, guys, that's a six-figure income because you're going to – and that's a six-figure income at an entry-level contract. But we know if their person's doing that kind of volume, they're not going to stay there. So that puts you on a six-figure income basis. And a lot of the people that are doing that are working, you know, less than 40 hours a week, so and they get to choose their own schedule. But I wanted to have Danny on this morning. Um, the reason I did, uh, first, he uh, uh, made it to uh, uh, the uh, Ignite, but there was a, you know, that that's quite an accomplishment. I mean, we think in terms of, oh, you know, three apps, $2,700 in premium, and issued in the first 45 days. But, you know, when you take into consideration the hurdles we have to get over getting imported with carriers, learning product, uh, changing careers for many of us, um, it's not an easy feat. However, it puts somebody on track to be very successful with our business. But, Danny, I wanted to start off this morning. Background-wise, um, from what I understand, you were already doing insurance. It's new to you. But um, uh, what were you doing before? So prior to um, being with Equus, I was doing health insurance. Um, and then prior to that, which goes back about two, three years, I was doing SEO, which for those who don't know what that is, that's search engine optimization. Essentially, uh, business um, advertisement. So advertising for businesses, whether it's you know Google listings, website development, um, and I was on the sales and customer service side of that. Now, when you were there, did you do your own prospecting, or was it a call center where people called into you and then you turned them around or helped them get what you were selling? Um, it was closer to the second one, but more so, we were all, it was all calling them. Um, Honestly, I don't know exactly where the leads came from, other than having a business. You know, a business. Um, so it was essentially straight cold calling. Not to say you know it didn't still have its uh, potential, but it was more so us calling them, you know, and calling in volume, and you know, just getting through the calls to the people who actually, first of all, knew the different aspects of. Um, search engine optimization, whether it's a Google listing um, or, you know, whether they had a website. Half of the people I spoke to didn't even know what a Google listing was, and these are business owners. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was all about calling them, essentially. But the leads were provided by the business, by the company I worked for. Okay. Um, so you were familiar with working with leads. Why did you choose Equus? Because there's a lot of opportunity out here. Um, okay. What, what, um, what brought you to Equus? Firstly, I was going from a couple different companies in the health insurance industry, 
And for one reason or another, they just weren't a good fit for me, and I wasn't necessarily a good fit for the company. Um, but, you know, within less than five minutes of being on the phone with Robert, which I hope he's listening to this because this is a major shout-out to him, um, you know, between the emphasis that he put on the customer service aspect side of things, which I think is so important, and also the fact that, you know, you're going to be more so doing the explaining of the benefits more so than, you know, being more of the consultative side than even necessarily the sales side, or at least doing them hand in hand, not having to just, you know, solely focus on one, which is a shout out to Marsha Seacrest. But, um, you know, just the fact that he said that and the fact that my personality, which is, you know, more connecting with the individuals and, you know, not just solely worrying about making a sale, um, I, I felt like they, that those things were so, so important. And in my prior job um, experiences, they were solely focused on make the sale or, you know, get off the phone, the customer wasn't important, um, things like that. And just, you know, the way that Robert explained it and, you know, having this, some of the same ideals in the sales industry and not only in the insurance, which he also pointed out, you know, it's about helping people, which is also why I got into the insurance industry, was to help individuals who, you know, may not be well-versed in how insurance works, whether it's health, life, you know, being able to be in a position to explain to them and help guide them. And in all my prior experiences, I didn't have that opportunity. And with Equus, it, it gives me the ability to not only do everything that I'm so passionate about in the industry, but also, you know, you, Equus tends, seems like they capitalize on that, which is why I felt like it was going to be a good fit, and I still do. Well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people come here because of the money, but frankly, the money is a byproduct of doing a good job, and that's absolutely the mission, you know. And, and I, I think I think if you solely you like focus on the money too, because you know this, you know, it, you're going to have days that you may not make a sale, but it, it's <laughs> about putting all of your energy and motivation into every call, doing your best and advising people the best that you can. And the ones that want and understand how important it is, you know, that's the ones that you'll get a hold of. That's the ones you'll break through to, even if it's just planting the seed. Well, what was your expectation uh, coming to Equus on how they might be different, how it might change things for you? Um touching again on, you know, the customer service aspect also in my prior experiences, it was a set schedule, um, whereas with Equus, it gives me the ability to, yes, I need to dedicate a certain amount of time, you know, if I have certain expectations on what I want to get out of, you know, the work, but it gives me the ability to set my own schedule while still, you know, putting in the effort, um, utilizing skills that I haven't been able to utilize at my other employment opportunities because they weren't seen as, um, you know, important skills. And, you know, I've been learning a lot, and, you know, as, as I do have to learn a lot of things the hard way, which comes with being in a new experience, I've also been able to get little nuggets of wisdom and um, things that will help me in the future. 
to not make the same mistakes. You know, I think it's also being really important being open to feedback. I think I probably contact you, Dick, and Connie and Robert probably at least a few times a week. You know, what do you think I can do better? And I apologize for being a pain in the behind, but you know, you guys have been so paramount in you know me being more successful as I move forward. Um, I don't know if Connie actually told you, but I was feeling a little discouraged because I had a little bit of a rough week last week, and I was like, you know, I don't know if, I, if I'm in a position to encourage people. But I think, like Connie pointed out, that's the best time to get up and say, you know, you're going to have a hard day, you're going to have a hard week, but not giving up. And, you know, if there's something that you need to hone, on, hone in on or make a slight adjustment to, it's all about, perse- you know, the persevering comes with, continuing the effort, not giving up, not giving into those moments of insecurity, and, you know, knowing what you bring to the table and just making that next dial, as Robert always says. You know, I couldn't agree more, Danny. I'm so glad you brought that up because <clears throat> everybody, including those top ten on the leaderboard, all get discouraged. And for those of you in group me, I posted this morning from Dick and I that you really should go to integritymarketing.com and watch the video that was just posted, uh, I believe, yesterday for John and Kim Kite, uh, Dream Come True. I mean, we were with them at their lowest, lowest moment, probably around 2007 or eight, um, where they really kind of thought, it was the end of everything, and they have come back from, you know, what is it they say, looking up to an earthworm, you know, yeah. the, the lowest point to pretty much at the pinnacle of success in insurance. So I would just say that, you know, Danny took the the low point of this week and decided to have this interview, you know, just as we had asked. And we appreciate that because you've got to put in the activity whether you feel like it or not. Right, Dick? Yeah. One of the things I'm most impressed. Yeah, go ahead, Danny. I just wanted to also point out one thing that you said that is so true and it's like a recommendation to anybody who feels um, insecure or is struggling. The best thing that you actually suggested to me, Connie, is keep your head up and don't let those not even failures, but those moments where you're not doing as well as you could be doing affect your next calls because, you know, it's going to affect your attitude. It's going to affect your tone. And, you know, you don't want to – it's not – first of all, it's not fair to yourself to impose that on your, your future calls. But also, nobody's going to want to, you know, go through, you know, one of the – probably one of the most difficult calls that they have, you know, conversations they have to make when you're in that headspace. So going into those new calls with a new headspace with a, as much positivity and, and motivation as you can, that's so important. And I think that's one of the biggest things that also got me kind of, you know, pushed into, you know, into another wave of energy and motivation. Well, one of the things, Danny, that you mentioned when you first started is, one, you recognized what your gifts were, and you were working at a place that didn't allow you to function in that area. And, one, recognizing what your gifts are is the first step. Most people 
it's years to get there, and some I'm not sure they ever realize what they are. But secondly, being able to function and recognize your functioning in your gifts really gives one inspiration. You inspiration because you care about people, and this allows you to do that. Let me ask you this. What do you think has been the biggest effect on you by earning Ignite? I think the biggest effect between that and being at the top of the leaderboard a couple of weeks ago, I think I was two or three, was, you know, I was coming into a whole new job, a whole new uh, side of insurance, and even though I had faith in the process, I had faith in my um, upline, whether it was you, Dick, Connie, or Robert, I still had my doubts, and then everybody around me, you're in a strictly commissioned job, you know, what are you thinking? Um, I think seeing that I was capable of getting Ignite and capable of even just being third, you know, my first month in the company or, you know, within our group, it showed, it reminded me, you know, which I needed at the time and I need actually today, is I'm capable of that. And it also tells me if that's what I'm capable within the first month, what else, it makes me question what else am I capable of. And there's nothing, and I'm not being like, you know, down on myself, there's nothing overly unique about me. That was just a matter of putting in the time, putting in the energy, being open to suggestion, open to making adjustments, whether it's to my opening pitch, to my running the appointment. You know, it was just a matter of putting in the time and the energy necessary. You know, and it showed me that I was capable of doing that. It makes me, like I said, what else can I, what am I capable of? Well, that leads me to the next question because I think that's important. How do you see Equus and the virtual team changing your financial future? I think the team has, like I, I pointed out over and over, and I'm going to keep pointing it out, you guys have been a part of my successes so far. I don't think I would have I, – I might have made Ignite, but it, it would have taken longer. Um, I don't think I would have made the successes the same way, and I don't think I would have learned as much as I've already learned without the team. Um, I, and also, not even just that, but like last week was really hard on me, and I messaged all the people I needed to message, like, am I doing this right? You know, should I do this? Should I do that? And having this, the team available and seeing what the other agents like Marcia Seacrest are capable of, tells me that that's the same potential that I can have. You know, that she, for example, Marcia has, I think, around six years or longer. You know, so she's had more time to get to the successes that she's at. But it tells me that if I stick with it, if I work with the team the way I've been trying to, there's so, so much potential. And that's one of the biggest things is knowing the team is there and knowing the potential of everybody that I'm working with. That's the biggest thing that's keeping me from giving in and, you know, holding on to tomorrow is going to be better, the next call is going to be better. I think it's just as important, if not more so, the team or the company you're working for than even the income that you're making at that company. So. Well, very well said. And one of the biggest 
hurdles for most people in sales to get over and understand. They understand it in their head, but they don't understand it in their heart, that the law of large numbers will take care of you over time, and mm -hmm. that's just a concept like gravity. It works if we right. can last long enough. I just want to thank you this morning for sharing. Of course, and thank you for having me. And, you know, and Kate, I just want to point something out on your last point, is I came from a position where I had instant gratification. So I had an hourly pay or I had a backup pay. And there's so much potential if you stick with it. You know, you may not have that instant gratification, but like you touched on, Dick, if you hold out for the long-term successes that are possible, you know, there's, you know, there's so much potential there. Couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, and I uh, hope you go on today and uh, get back to the dialing and make uh, several sales. Thanks for being on, Danny. Of course. Have a great day, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I wanted to go over something this morning, uh, uh, more about our process. And um, we had a great training last week with uh, Tony Bates, and he reminded me of some things that you you just kind of let fall through the cracks. And uh, he was sharing, and I've also talked to Fernando and some other people that used to be mortgage brokers. And in the mid-'90s, to the early 2000s, most guys who were doing mortgages, they would spend a couple of days a week in a courthouse. And, um, I mean, they literally lived there for at least two days a week. And uh, what they were looking for were mortgages that had been issued when interest rates were higher than what they currently were uh, because these became potential prospects. The mortgage brokers and a few life insurance agents did the same thing they would mail 150 to 200 letters a week. Uh, when the letters came back, uh, in those days, they would usually get from a 5 to a 7% return or somewhere between 5 and 10 leads a week. And uh, these guys liked the results, but they did not like the process. And, um, but you have to do what you got to do. There was just no other way of getting prospects at that time. Barry Clarkson was one of the ones that changed all that. And he changed it with his little company called Diversified Brokers. And you heard the story a couple of weeks ago about him taking out a loan for $50,000 against his home. And what he would do is he would hire homemakers who needed, you know, to work three or four or five hours a day, three or four days a week, and it gave them some spending money. They were thrilled to get out of the house, um, made more money than selling Avon and Tupperware, and the aspect that they could go out and earn a little bit of money and, you know, not have to spend a lot of money on a wardrobe, it just gave them a sense of accomplishment. However, um, the professional sales agent, and I meant to ask Danny this, and we'll talk about this on another time, the average life insurance agent in the mid-'90s was making from 28 to about $32,000 a year. And the reason being is they spent all their time prospecting. They were in a courthouse. They were just setting up booths somewhere. They spent all their time prospecting. It was very difficult then because they were capable of making 50 to to $100 an hour when they were in front of somebody, but they had to invest too many hours to get in front of people. 
And when I saw what Barry was doing, and I was much like Danny was this morning, mortgage protection for me became a crusade. Um, And I was going to protect one family at a time. I mean, guys, literally, I looked at this as a crusade from the standpoint, these people don't know how at risk they are, and I can change the trajectory of that family for 2 to $3 a day. I mean, that was my mindset, and I went in with that, that thought. Um, the fact that words matter, you know, what, some of the things that we went through with uh, Tony last week, um, one of the things he brought up was trying to stay away from certain words, you know, because certain words connotate a negative attitude. For example, this would be a good word or good phrase. When would be a good time to go over your options to see what you might qualify for? I have Tuesday at 6 or 8 p.m. or Wednesday at 4 or 8 p.m. You know, that there is a good phrase because it kind of go over your options to see what you qualify for. See, I don't care if I don't even want a popsicle, but they're giving one away. If you do something, I want to qualify for that doggone popsicle. It's just, it just inherent within me to qualify for it. You know, and however, if somebody said, I have appointment times available at 6 or 8 p.m. on Tuesday and 4 and 8 p.m. on Wednesday, Tony had pointed out, you know, whenever you have an appointment, it's usually with a doctor or an attorney. It's not usually something you're looking forward to. So when we set things up, let's use words that connotate something that the people would look forward to. And I thought that was so important because I'd gotten away from that sort of thing. I do it. See, a lot of what I do, guys, I'm an unconscious competent. I just do it. It's like breathing. So sometimes when you guys ask me a question, I have to kind of revert back for just a moment to why I do it that way or how I do it because, again, it's like breathing. How would you do that? Well, what do you mean how did I do it? I just did. So we're trying to change how um, just kind of how people think you know here's an example of a wrong question tell me what you know about mortgage protection you know well I, I know it pays when you die the question should read something more like this what do you know and this was one of the things we got out of Tony's training last week was what do you know about the benefits of mortgage protection and then shut up and let them answer well they're going to pay the mortgage off if I die well yes your answer would be but all life insurance does that see that's a puzzling statement to them like oh um, some mortgage protection plans have a foreclosure protection benefit you know if somebody is battling cancer stroke heart attack or can't work for a year uh, how are they gonna make their mortgage payment without a paycheck for 12 months. We'll see some mortgage plans have a feature that the client would receive a lump sum payment to pay all their bills for a year, so all they have to do is concentrate on getting better. We'll see, when you're talking to somebody and they try, they pull this on you, I have insurance. See, that's a great time to ask the question, well, what do you know about the benefits of mortgage protection? See, benefits connotate something totally different than just what do you know about life insurance or what do you know about mortgage protection? You mean, what's the difference in benefits and so on? So this allows you, by structuring that question, 
it allows you to educate them without being uh, condescending. What do you know about the benefits of mortgage protection? And they're going to take a stab at it. Say, well, that's true. And then you, it allows you to go in into a little more. And so when you make that, that statement then, well, they would give you a lump sum so that you have money to pay all your bills for a year. So all that you have to do is concentrate on getting better. Then you followed up. Would that be important to you? Well, yes. Well, now they see your product as different than life insurance, as different than insurance on the job, as different from anything they already own because it's doing something different. Now, you ask that question, is that something that would be important to you? And, and guys, take the time to ask the question. I shared this a number of months ago. Um, I sat down with a couple in Northern Virginia in Stafford, and they had a $700,000 house. The guy was real coy with me, wouldn't tell me what he did. Uh, when I finally got to the question on the application, what he does, I work for the government. What department? Well, when he told me the department, what he was in, I knew he was an attorney. But the net man never told me he was an attorney. And, um, and I want to give you an example of why you don't want to continue trying to sell something if they haven't agreed it's important to them. Because fortunately, this guy stopped me a few minutes into it. I'm hammering them hard on um, Forrester's uh, orphan benefits because the guy had four kids. You know, $700,000 house, and as I recall, his wife either didn't work outside the home or she had just a job like gathering data for leads just to give her some spending money, but certainly not enough to run the household uh, and pay the mortgage if he died. So uh, I'm, I'm telling him about all the mortgage, uh, orphan benefits and everything, and he's, he's, wait, 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 wait a minute. He said, I don't care about the orphan benefits. And I must have had a really strange look on my face because he said, my parents, or my in-laws, one, it doesn't matter, have set up a trust, an educational trust, for all the grandchildren. And any one of our kids that want to go through college and or graduate school, including med school or law school, it's already paid for. He, he said, all I care about is a $700,000 death benefit, so if I don't come home, as you say, because of that car wreck or a heart attack, I want the home paid for so my family is not disrupted and they're losing their family and their home at the same, losing their father and their home at the same time. That's all he cared about. So I, I immediately stopped talking about anything to do with orphan benefits, even though I thought it was a great idea. It was a great program, but he had no interest or need in it. Well, there are times that you need to establish their need or at least get them to agree to it. So I immediately went to a $250,000 policy with no exam where the company took the risk and a $500,000 with an exam and a $700,000 with an exam option because I knew he was one of these type A's, get to the bottom line quickly. So I did, and he ended up taking $700,000 for a 30-year term. I can't remember now if he did 200 for 20 years and, and 500 for 30. I, I don't remember that now, but I do know this. He ended up with $700,000 of death benefits, and that's all he cared about. And 
I, I, I say that because we have such a tendency into getting into doing our entire presentation so we educate them. Sometimes it takes that, but there are times when we, when we don't. Um, I know Tony was talking about, you know, and, and I'll close with this because I thought this was really important. He said, when was the last time you walked into a grocery store and they had an apple salesman standing inside the door selling apples. Well, they don't. Now, Costco and Sam's used to have tasters where you could try new products because you didn't go in to buy a casserole. But they would give you a taste of it, and we have a number of those things in our freezer as we speak from back in the day. Uh, however, the people didn't go in they don't. They went into the grocery store, or the produce department. They don't need somebody to tell them to pick up the the bib lettuce or the red leaf lettuce or the apples or the oranges or or the t strawberries. They went in to get them, so you don't need a salesperson. See, our product is a little bit different because that yes, they filled out the letter. They want some mortgage protection, so it's our job to show them the options. When you go in, there's all that fruit and produce at the front of the store, and you're going to pick out whatever you have the need for that day. Well, it's much the same way here. When somebody sends a letter out, like I made the comment when I opened the call today about the people that would go to the courthouse, get the data, send them a letter, try to explain to them if they refinance now, they can save hundreds or thousands of dollars a year on their mortgage, and over the course of uh, 20 years or 30 years, it would save them tens of thousands of dollars. They need to be sold on that because they're not thinking about mortgage. you know. But the, if they take the time to fill the letter out and send it back, they now have, one, they recognize the need, they're itching, and they need somebody to help them scratch that need. So that's why when they send the letter back, we can then take that information and understand they have an interest. It's just our job to find out how we can satisfy that interest, give them some options, and let them pick one. It's not like we're trying to sell them something. You know, everybody wants to buy, but nobody wants to be sold. That's a quote of Tony's that I really took to heart last week. So let's make it easy for them to buy and make them feel like they're not being sold. I do want to point out one other thing on, uh, and, and this is more of a housekeeping item here, is when you're looking at uh, an application for yourself or a family member or so on, guys, learn to figure the rates. That's why when Danny was talking earlier, uh, calling us is so important <coughs> and it can be so beneficial for you, is when you're figuring a rate for somebody, the purpose is not to submit a couple of applications to see which one's the least expensive. The purpose is to do that beforehand because placement determines bonuses. And if the teams, uh, last month I think uh, placement wasn't quite what it should have been, it makes a big difference in the bonus for the agents. So we had a couple of agents that didn't get bonus because placement wasn't what it should be. And if we have, say, four applications submitted and, and either declined or not taken, then at that point in time, somebody else has got to write, 
I think I figured it up with an 80% placement, they need to write 16 applications to keep persistency and placement what it should be. So there is a reason for, for making sure that we're submitting the apps and only submit the ones that we intend to place. Right, because companies do uh, terminate for low placement. Yeah. So it's very important for an agent, which is one of the great features about the Equus dashboard, um, is that you can see in a flash by just logging in what your placement is. Now obviously if you've only written two applications and one of them didn't go through, then your placement's 50% and then you know that you have to submit more because as John Barlow said, getting those 10 applications um, submitted is the best way to keep your placement up. But um, uh, we we want to encourage everyone uh, that a withdrawn counts as counts against your placement. Okay. The good news is that these policies, such as um, a mutual Omaha accident plan, while it does not count for a bonus, it counts in your placement. So they are almost a sure issue. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen one turned away. So between accident plans and children policies, those are a great way to get your personal placement above that 70%.